From the global headquarters of the Asgard Company in beautiful downtown Wichita Falls, Texas. From the finest mind in the modern fitness industry. The one true voice of the strength and conditioning profession. The most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting strength radio. But yeah, I mean, you'd be astonished though. You know, I there's this lady I operated on. Probably about two months ago, she came in with an aortic dissection or an aneurysm. Oh, God damn. Where? But, so her, her ascending aorta. Oh, on the way out. Dissected so they, right. both the arteries up to the oh, brain. Oh, up to the carotids. Dissected her coronaries. I mean, she was. How the hell do you save that? Well, so we saved her. She, so she's, in, she's 72, 73, something like that. God damn. Comes in you dead. You guys are good. I mean, dead. Yeah, no blood pressure, blue. The blue is her chair. All right. And we operated on her, get her through all of that. And she lives in Florida. So she was up visiting her in-laws. <clears throat> comes back, and not her, her, her daughter-in-law. Um, comes back to see me for a post-op visit. And she says, look, it's been six weeks now, eight weeks. Can I go back to working out? So I'm like, this is astonishing to me because, you know, most of my patients don't work out. Mm-hmm. So, well, what do you do? So she starts describing, you know, I spend some time on the treadmill, I do some yoga, but I've been working with this therapist who now wants me to strength train. So I said, have you ever strength trained before? Yeah, I used to do it for years and years. I was like, start strength training. Absolutely. And, you know, and for her, this was like, the, it was a revelation, honestly. Like, right. you know, you're actually going to allow me to strength train. I said, yeah, I mean, you have an injured aorta. As long as your blood pressure is fine, you know, you'll be fine. And, mm-hmm. you know, she lost, like, you know, a tiny woman, 130 pounds, probably lost 20 pounds. Oh, God. In the surgery right. and the recovery and all that. Right. Needed to gain a bunch of weight. So she's back. back in Florida under a barbell now, which oh, is that's fantastic. Good. That's fabulous. So I actually told her, watch the podcast. Yes. In <laughs> so, fact. Yeah, as a matter of fact. Watch the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Starting Strength Radio. Uh, we're here this week uh, with our friend... Abil Manji. Abil is a cardiac surgeon at Yale and has flown all the way down here to sit down and talk to little old me and little old you. And uh, we're going to have a fairly wide-ranging discussion today about several topics, all of which will be of immense interest. Thank you for coming down, my friend. Rip, thank you for uh, having me. Absolutely. So tell us a little about your background, what uh, your what, 45, 46 years old? 46. And how long have you been doing this, and where and why and how? So, Rip, it's, a, it's an interesting story. You know, I, um, as when I was young, you know, in my teens and 20s, I was, you know, a, a high school athlete. I grew up overseas. Um, but I had never really, you know, formally trained. You know, mm-hmm. So we had all exercise. Now you're talking like the late 70s, early 80s here. Mm-hmm. This is when everything was about, you know, you got to run, you, gotta, you know, do aerobic exercise, all that right. type of just stuff. Just like, like st- the military still believes exactly, today. Exactly, right? right? So I remember distinctly my dad and I, we used to go on five-mile long runs. We used to swim together, you know, things of that nature. But very little in terms of, you know, formal strength training, right? So there was calisthenics and, you know, body weight stuff, but, but that mm-hmm. was about it. Then I grew older. I, you know, I went to medical school, uh, surgical residency, which... You know, back in those days, we used to work 100, 120 hours a week, uh, every other night call. Right. And I trained as a heart surgeon, started a family. Right. Right. So uh, over time, you know, what happened was I gained a bunch of weight. 
you know, I became physically inactive. I hit that magic, you know, 40 year threshold. And, you know, one day I wake up and I'm, you know, close to 300 pounds. Mm. And I got two little boys, I, you know, can barely pick them up and get them up the stairs. So for me, this was a moment that, you know, something is not right here. Light went on. Light went on. <clears throat> Particularly when you think about the fact that, you know, every day, you know, I'm operating on people who looked at that time just like me. <laughs> you know, so young guys, overweight. <clears throat> You know, yeah, that been, it had to have occurred to you that this was going to be a problem at some point. You know, it's, and it's funny, right? You don't you don't think of yourself as a patient, exactly, right? Until I went to see a doctor. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen a doctor in ten years. Right. Who says, "Guess what? You've got high blood pressure. You've got high cholesterol. And you need to start you on these meds." Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm, I'm like, you know, 43, 44. I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah, I've got four kids. The youngest is three. The oldest is sixteen. Uh, yeah, if this continues, I am going to be around. Yeah, you it's just not going to happen. You won't see him through college. It's not going to happen, particularly because every male on my father's side had had a heart attack by the time they were fifty-five. Every mm-hmm. single one of them, including my father. Wow. My father and his brother were the only two who actually survived them. So the rest of them, you know, never, never, never made it through. So for me, this was the thing. You know, I had to change the way I was living. So one of the nurses in our operating room. Uh, so I actually got introduced to this through CrossFit. You know, her son uh, owns a CrossFit gym up in Brantford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I started training with one of his brothers, <coughs> who actually was going to come here with me, to, but we couldn't get the right. logistics sorted out. So anyhow, was, you know, I started training. Within four to five months, I dropped 60 pounds. Right. As I was telling you guys over lunch today, <coughs> the first day I showed up there, he was like, show me a squat. I couldn't squat my body weight. You know, I, I couldn't squat to the ground and back up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this was this was scary. You know, he had me ride the bike. And, you know, I could barely ride the bike for thirty seconds. I was done that day. I was done. Right. You know, couldn't do anything more. So, you know, but I said hell. You know, the first <laughs> the first day was awful. You know, the second day was worse. <laughs> you know, I said, like, you know, hell with this. I I gotta get this. So I kept going back. And you know, here we are, two two years later. Um, you know, I got introduced to your stuff really through the internet first. Mm-hmm. And I bought your books, read all your books. My wife uh, bought me, you know, that seminar that I came to up in Maryland. That's where we met the first time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've been training now consistently, strength training for about 18 months. So I went from not being able to squat, you know, without a barbell. Now, you know, last week I squatted 355 for five. So for me, this That's is like excellent. That's just excellent. And guess what? The all the meds are gone. Good. So good. One one morning, I'm working out with John in the gym, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm so lightheaded. I'm lightheaded, and he's like, What? Did you not eat? Did you not sleep? I'm like, No, everything's fine. No, it's, like, the, it's the beta blockers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Duh. He's like, he's like You've yeah. got no blood pressure. <laughs> So yeah, that, that eighty over thirty five. Exactly, but that's exactly <laughs> what it was. So, oh god. So you know, there. I mean, I did it for myself. Right. You know, and today, I mean, I yeah, I feel like a different person. Oh, I'm sure you do. I actually met someone god. who I trained with. So this is about fifteen years. I hadn't seen him in fifteen years. This is mm-hmm. two weeks ago, and he says, "You know what? You look." 10 years younger today than you did then. 15 years yeah. ago. So it's, <laughs> it's incredible. You yeah. Know? I mean, I think, so for me, this is, um, it's a big deal, both personally and professionally. Well, it, it is a big deal because of the fact that this is an interventional strategy that requires no medication. Right. 
that works every single time it's yeah. applied correctly that is incredibly inexpensive <laughs> compared to every other single alternative absolutely and is more effective this is the probably the most important thing it's much more effective than any medication combination yeah. that could possibly be administered and i agree with you 100%. with no side effects yeah and as I was telling you, that's why I love this slogan, mm-hmm. the T-shirt. From Bill Starr's book. From Bill Starr. Yes. But, but it is absolutely correct. Yes. And there's data to support it. We can talk about the data. Yeah, let's let's talk about uh, strength and longevity. Yeah. Uh, there's several things we want to talk about today. We want to touch on, on the effects. Or why would a cardiac surgeon be concerned with strength training? And uh, want to talk about conventional the conventional approach to cardiac rehab and what a hilarious waste of time yeah. it is and uh then we'll you know we've got a couple of special things we want to talk yeah, about yeah. but let's so let's talk about the strength and its relationship to to mortality and i guess probably the thing to to talk about first would be the the fact that that cardiovascular disease is neck and neck with cancer right now is the number one cause of mortality in the United States. And for the most part, the vast majority of cardiac, of cardiovascular disease is environmental. Correct. It's environmental, which means it's your fault, not his. It's your fault. And you can fix it if you want to. But what we see is they don't want to fix it bad enough to do anything hard yeah. because they have been perhaps told that there's a pill yeah. or some combination of pills that will fix this. And that is just not true. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that this is the, this is what everybody believes. Yeah. Since everybody believes that it's extremely difficult to penetrate with the message that you have to get up off of your dead, lazy ass and fix this yourself. It's it's not a comfortable message for people. No, it's not at all. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the context of this disease, um, so cardiovascular disease has been the leading killer of both men and women in America for decades since the 50s. It's mm-hmm. now neck and neck with cancer, depending on who you read cancer, maybe right. a little bit ahead now, but regardless. The, the, the most commonly performed operation that we do coronary bypass surgery, mm-hmm. we do a half million of them a year in this country, every year. 500,000 500, bypass operations. Bypass operations every year in this country. And just to put that in context, you know, there, there are about 5,000 heart surgeons in this country mm-hmm. practicing today. There is expected to be a shortfall of about 30% of qualified cardiac surgeons in America in the next decade, Mm -hmm. simply because you can't keep up with the demand. The demand is exploding. Because you are creating the demand. Because you will not do what it takes to not have cardiovascular disease. I mean, let's think about it, right? Like Two-thirds of us are overweight. Mm -hmm. Diabetes is epidemic. Epidemic. Mm, yeah, and yeah. we can talk about 
the role of the diet, the role of governmental recommendations. The role of the of the promotion of carbs over Correct. fat. It's it's based on starting thirty years ago. Bad science. Yes, it's based bad on science. Ansel Keys. Exactly. Is who right? it's based exactly. on. Exactly. Ansel Keys. And if you read, you know, his famous study, the seven countries study. Yes. Right. That study is fatally flawed. Because it was it, cherry It should never have been published. It should never have been published. It shouldn't have been published, yet it forms the basis. Yes. To this day, as far as I know, unless they've changed it, of the American Dietetics Association's recommendation for a low-fat diet. They still recommend a low-fat diet. You look at the American Heart Association, it's, American Medical Association, every major professional society recommends whole grains and low Lots fat. of them. And low fat. And low fat. So, so and carbs should account for 70% of your caloric intake. That's, and that's, yeah. that is a recipe for diabetes. Absolutely. And it always has been. And, uh, I mean, lots and lots of people have made the, uh, these observations for lots and lots of years. Yeah. And yet, the dogma with professional society still remains incorrect like this. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, I think that everybody that's interested in it at any level already knows this yeah. because of the availability of the information. Correct. And, uh, but nonetheless, a, a large percentage of the population are still under the influence of their doctors. Correct. Who have not taken the time. And who don't that, know this. Who right. don't know this. Pe people don't know this. Do right. This is not taught in medical school. No. Okay. So when you, you know, when you get food out of a box, that says healthy on it, mm -hmm. that should make you pay attention. Yes. Like, you know, it's not food if it's coming out of a box. No, food right? does not come from boxes. Food does not come from boxes. Food comes out of the ground or of an animal or, right. you know, something like or, that. Or something like that, but yeah. not out of a box. Yeah. Chances are anything out of a box is extremely high in carbohydrates. And it's processed, heavily processed. Yeah, heavily right? processed. So, so that's all the stuff. So that, <clears throat> you look at cholesterol, right? Hypertension, <coughs> cigarette smoking. These are all things that we can do something about by exercise. Yes. Right. I wonder, just as an aside, I wonder what percentage of cancer versus what percentage of cardiovascular disease is environmental. I get the impression that essentially all cardiovascular disease, with very few exceptions, are environmental. In other words, you cause that. And... Uh, a quite a bit lower percentage of cancers are environmental, although a, the majority of cancers don't remain environmental. I, you know, I, I think it What's gets your? it gets hard to tease this out. You know, I think that for most conditions, I think one could reasonable people could agree that there is a component that you were born with. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do about that. Right. But there is a significant component that you do have control yes. over, right, by the things that we're going to talk about. Yes, and it's it's type 2 diabetes for, yeah, is it's essentially the same for cardiovascular disease, you same give yourself type 2 diabetes. And it's the same right. for cancer. Right. Right. So if you smoke, if you choose to smoke, odds are you know, you're escalating your risk for many different types Certainly. of cancer, right? Certainly. Similarly, with uh, there's good data uh, emerging that consuming processed food can also lead to the metabolic derangements that lead to cancer. Mm -hmm. So that there's, you know, there's good data, again, to your point, that mm -hmm. a considerable amount of it is environmental. But with cancer, I think it's, a, you know, there's, it's probably it's more, more complex. Uh, probably more complicated than uh, 
the typical scenario of metabolic syndrome yeah. that you find that leads to cardiovascular disease. Yeah. I think probably the vast majority of, of cardiovascular disease, especially that which is responsible, which is the responsibility of metabolic syndrome, is your fault. Once again, it's your fault. And it's tough, Rip, right? I mean, I, sure. I, I mean, the thing is, like, I get it, you know, we as human beings, I think, are conditioned to seek out short-term gain as opposed to long-term gain, yes. right? We will often sacrifice long-term gain for something that we can take advantage of in the short term. So to your point, it's not easy to get up and train three days a week. It's a hell of a lot easier to take a couple of pills. Because well, sure. what the hell? And right? to, a, to a large extent, uh, normal human behavior uh, mitigates against strenuous activity. Yeah. Now, if you think 30,000 years ago, when life was tough physically, just inherently, the smartest thing you could have done is not kill yourself, yeah. not not work real hard, because that puts you in a, at an extreme disadvantage in terms of the use of your own physical resources, this right. sort of thing. The, the advent of modern society has changed that equation to the point that if you behave in what would, in a simpler time, be a self-destructive way, you're, yeah. you're running. Now, why would a 30,000 years ago, why would a guy go out and run for no particular reason? He has to run every day anyway. Why would he lift heavy things for no particular reason? That's part of the day. All his life, it's part of the day. But now, it's important that you place yourself into a set of, of physical conditions that more closely mimic what we're, if, what we're adapted genetically and, and what we had evolved to do. So that if you, if you obey your natural proclivity to do things the easy way, now... Right. It's detrimental. That's right. And you have to, and so it's it's kind of counterintuitive. And I understand the, I understand why people would rather have a pill because it's easier, and easier is what we've evolved to head in the direction of. But we don't have that luxury anymore. Correct. We have to understand that uh, a strenuous lifestyle must be voluntarily undertaken, or we suffer the consequences that come with the fact that we are not genetically adapted to a leisurely lifestyle. Right. And I think as human beings, you know, I, I think that we should be putting ourselves in uncomfortable situations, you know, whether it's intellectually yes. or, you know, uh, physically, you, you, that's the only way we grow. Stress is, stress is normal. Correct. Stress is a normal Correct. component of physical existence. Correct. Without if, stress, there's no adaptation. Without stress, there's no adaptation. Right. And the, the adaptation then becomes to, uh, to take us down Correct. in physical capacity as opposed to up in Correct. physical capacity. So it's a maladaptation. And, right, it's a maladaptation. It's nonetheless an adaptation. Correct. To the stress. The, the stress is a negative stress instead of a positive stress. Correct. And stress is an interesting stress is an interesting thing. Uh, we talk about the stress recovery adaptation cycle uh, as the the basis of of the the construction of the method by which we train people. Uh, we apply stress 
we create the conditions for recovery from the stress. That stress, when recovered from, produces an adaptation, and then we produce another stress. Right. And we and this escalating stress produces an escalating adaptation, and that's the the basis of the of the method. Uh, I think cardiac rehab and and all types of physical rehabilitation suffer from um, a a, a, a logical continuity here. All right. If if I was going to rehab a person with an injured knee, all right, knee's been operated on. You come in the gym two or three weeks post-op, and we start loading the knee through as full a range of motion as we can load the knee because that's where the knee is going to return to function. Correct. It has to return to function through this through this full range of motion. So what we do is we seek out the greatest range of motion that you can operate in in the context of the injury, load it progressively, go up two pounds of workout, five pounds of workout, just like we would do for yeah. a novice trainee. And what does the knee do then? It adapts to the stress by healing itself up in a way that that returns it to function. In other words, it goes back to normal right. morphology. It heads in the direction of, of original equipment. It won't ever get back to completely yeah. original equipment, but it gets back. You get it pretty close. You, get, you yeah. can get pretty damn close with it. But the process of stressing the knee occurs in the gym every day. And outpatient physical therapy doesn't do that. No. Under normal circumstances. And outpatient cardiac rehab doesn't do that either. And the reason I think, and you tell me what you think about this idea, the reason I think they don't is because those people, that profession, those two professions, cardiac rehab and physical therapy, have the idea that the stress was the injury mm-hmm. or the surgery, not something that they must apply in an escalating, accumulative fashion in order to return the structure to to normal function. What do you think about that? So I, I think you're on to something here. Because that's, and this is important to understand, because I think once you have had heart surgery, it's so let me just take a step back. The reason I wanted to become a heart surgeon is that it is one of the few areas in medicine where you do something very invasive, very big to very, someone. Very, very big. But you know what? The next day, they actually look better than the day they did before the operation. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because you have restored blood flow to the heart. You right. have either fixed a leaky heart valve or a stiff heart valve. You've replaced an aneurysm. You, you've actually improved the functioning of that heart. Right, okay? and even though the the even though the procedure was invasive, yes, the function has improved function as a direct result improved. of the of the of the intervention. Exactly, that's the goal of the heart operation. Right, right? we don't do heart surgery to make people look better. You know, to, right. to, to cure certain symptoms. We do heart surgery so that people live longer. Right. That's the so only reason So that hearts heart work surgery. better. The heart works better. So the heart right. works better immediately after the immediately, procedure. Immediately, right? So now the question is, why don't you stress that heart right. during recovery? Right. 
Now I can and, tell you. Let, let me let me make an observation. Okay. <clears throat> you can take someone. This happened last week. You can take someone whose heart function is down to a third of normal. Okay. So normal ejection fraction of a heart is about seventy percent. That means it takes in 100 cc's of blood, it can squeeze out about 70 cc's, that's normal. You can take someone whose ejection fraction is down to about 20%, okay? Mm -hmm. But under the appropriate circumstances, they can generate more than double the cardiac output that your body actually needs. Post-op. Post-op. Cardiac output is what actually matters. It's how much yes. blood, per, how many liters per minute of blood can the heart right. generate to flow to the rest so of the body. So if the procedure is correctly performed, the heart is performing at a higher level immediately, immediately. than it was prior to the intervention. Unless right. you screwed something up. Right. right, right. And that, of course, happens, but under normal circumstances. If you do that, if you screw something up, they will usually not survive. Right. The operation the itself. Operation. Right. Right. So, right. so that the stakes are high, but because the stakes are high, the reward is also high. Mm -hmm. right? It's a high-risk, high-reward venture. Yes. Right? So... When you fix the heart, it has never made sense to me that when you send a patient out to rehab, that that heart is actually not being stressed under controlled circumstances. It's not being stressed sufficiently. They want to tell you that it's under a bunch of stress. Uh, we're going to meet a friend of mine tonight for dinner. And uh, uh, those of you that read the website, my buddy Scott Davison had a, had a double bypass procedure. And he went through his cardiac rehab, and uh, he decided about a week after he got through with cardiac rehab that he was going to come in and finally take the advice I'd been yelling at him for about 20 years and get in the gym and get back in shape and start training for strength. The first night, we did essentially nothing in the gym, everything we did with an empty bar, we squatted, bench press, deadlifted, and I had him push the prowler back and forth one time. His report upon completing the prowler, which was the last thing we did, is that at no point during his cardiac rehab had his heart rate been that high. Yeah. And this is a this is a bad sign. Yeah. You know, a lot of time has been wasted because he clearly survived that that event. He clearly survived that evening, and every time he has been in the gym, uh, and he's been severely ill a couple of times. God, he got got sick and got dehydrated and had to be in the hospital a couple of days. I don't know what kind of bug he had, but uh, there have been a, a couple of fairly decent little setbacks. But every time he has been in the gym, yeah. we have gone up yeah. in terms of the stress that we applied to that system. And let me guess. He came off his diabetes meds? Came off he's, his blood pressure he's, meds? They've got him almost off of all of his medication. See, that's incredible. They've got him off of his... Uh, I've got, we'll talk to him about it tonight. Yeah. I'll, I'll let him uh, explain. But they had him on quite a bit of stuff. Yeah. He was not all full-blown polypharma, but he was yeah, headed close. in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And all of that stuff's been cut back. Yeah. All, all of it's cut back to the point where he is... A st he's about ready. He could probably go off of everything yeah. right now if yeah. he if he needed to, and I've argued with him that he does need to. Right. And uh, but but it's a fascinating case. Uh, he was told in cardiac rehab to not just here, just ride this bike. Right. Just ride this bike. Let's 
monitor your heart rate. And let's get that heart rate up to, oh, you know, 65% of resting right. heart rate and this sort of thing. And, you know, at no point was he under any stress load. And the only thing that, that makes any sense to me is that instead of, of, of viewing the rehab as stress, recovery, adaptation, stress, recovery, adaptation, stress, recovery, adaptation, with that kind of a slope that they think that the injury, right. the surgery, was enough stress and that we don't want to stress the system in a way that would challenge the repair. And the injury but, was such so severe that it is something that no one will ever recover from or go back to a meaningful a, quality of life. Apparently, all they want you to return to is baseline. Well, I'll tell you what they want you to do because I've, I've actually yeah, let's, studied let's, this. Yeah, let's hear this. Okay, so uh, at no point, so the target heart rate should be about 70 to 80% of your maximum Right, your calculated max. For your heart, your age, sex, weight, et cetera, et cetera. Okay? Right. So the goal of the aerobic component of that exercise is to get your heart rate about 20 to 30 beats a minute above that. So we're talking above baseline. Above above that 70% threshold. Oh, above 70%. So you're talking, you know, that's a heart rate of 100, Mm -hmm. maybe. And most of these people are on beta blockers, right? So you're you're never going to get to 100. You can't produce 100. Right. That's one piece. The second piece, the Borg perceived rate of exertion score. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So how hard am I working from six right. to twenty? They want you in the eleven to fourteen range. So moderate exertion. Like this right. was a little bit difficult. And right, and and our experience with the rate the RPE scale yes. is that is that no one can adequately judge that for themselves. Yes. Everybody's perceptions of what is heavy, what is hard are inaccurate uh, without believe, exception yeah. they're inaccurate yeah yeah i believe it entirely so once you've made it through these two thresholds mm-hmm. then you will start very light resistance training perhaps maybe usually it's usually it's uh, treadmill walking so mm-hmm. you may go up on the incline but if you do make it a resistance training then you're working at 30 to 50% of your one rep max which they have no way of calculating which they have no way of calculating you're doing two to three sets of 12 to 15 reps, right? You're not supposed to Valsalva at any point. You're not supposed In to other words, you're not supposed to squat, deadlift, bench press. Or do or any or pick up any heavy object pick, that pick you may be picking up Anything in your ever, right, right, right. Okay. So it should then come as no surprise that when you right. look at randomized control trials, looking at the benefits of cardiac rehab, there is no improvement in survival. There is no improvement in readmission to the hospital. There is no improvement in quality of life. And there is absolutely no decrease in cost of care. Please, so, please repeat that. So, Because this is so critically <laughs> ass important. I in think, terms. I, I Just think repeat those four right, points. Right? This so is, randomized control studies looking at the benefits of cardiac rehab. No advantage in long-term survival. No advantage in readmission to the hospital. No advantage in quality of life, which to me is the reason you should be doing this. Certainly. And no decrease in cost of care. So, so if you think about the it's value. utterly pointless. What is the value? Where is the value? It's, it is utterly pointless. Where is the value? The way it is approached right. in the conventional approach to cardiac rehab, it is utterly and absolutely right. pointless. Right. 
So, but my, everybody's required to do it. You're required, or you're heavily encouraged. To do it. Heavily encouraged to and do you're it. Given, you're, you're given advice in, about in, nutrition. In, in some cases, your insurance company will refuse to pay for it if you don't do it, Correct. which is a form of blackmail. And I would hate to think that the cardiac rehab people had anything to do with that, but it has occurred to me. So, uh, I really, uh, it's it, this is this is the. So cardiac rehab and physical therapy are basically the same thing. They are fatally flawed in that they are so conservative in their approach that they cause insufficient stress Correct. to produce an adaptation. Correct. And it all this is biology. This is if an organism receives stress from its environment and that stress is not so large as to be overwhelming Correct. and unadaptable, then the organism will adapt to the stress of the environment and become capable of dealing with the stress. And let's and not forget, that heart has already endured the most stressful event that it will ever endure. It, yeah, it's got your grimy hands on the damn thing. While you're, you know, that's a, that's you're a, holding on to the, I've got this man's heart. So there's very damned little that he's going to be able to do to right. it. That's going to approach the, right. the level of stress that you've exactly applied right. to it in the surgery. Think about it. We've opened the chest. We've drained all the blood out of the heart. We've stopped the heart. We've cut open the heart. You've slapped it around. You've made fun of it. Show it who's boss. You've, right? You've, and then, if it was a woman's heart, you were sexist to it. Right, right, that's not if right. it was a gay man's heart, you were transphobic or whatever. That, I, I and then you I put it back in. I didn't confirm nor deny and, these and, uh, facts. And, uh, and you, <laughs> then you refill it with blood. Yeah. And, and then that's probably the wrong temperature. Oh, Jesus, and then you restart the thing with electricity. You get a car battery. <laughs> right? But you guys are worried <laughs> about making it beat too fast, yeah. right? I mean, it, to me, it, it has never, never made right. sense. Never right. made no, sense. it doesn't. Now, make particularly it. when you look at all the data. So let's talk about data and survival right. with strength training. Okay, so this is something, I, this is the question I asked you back in Maryland as well. That if you take all comers in the population and you make them exercise, you know, what do you see? So the data are as follows. There's one study. Take 30,000 adults. You make them exercise twice a week. This is only U.S. sort of physical activity guideline recommendations. This is not, mm -hmm. this is not strenuous exercise. This is 150 minutes a week or so. But these patients are actually followed for 15 years, which is what makes this interesting. So you're actually following the same core. people. This is a pretty good longitudinal yeah. study. What study is this? So I'll, I'll give you the data. It's oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But what you see in this case is a 46% reduction in all-cause mortality. Take a bunch of adults who've never trained before, you make them exercise, this is strength training. Mm -hmm. 15 years, half of them that should have been dead are still alive. Are still alive. Okay. Well, no, this is pretty solid. You, you and, really and, this solid is, and this has been studied in multiple evidence. environments. So there's, a, there's another meta-analysis, 11 randomized controlled studies, 300,000 patients followed over nine years, 20% decrease, only strength training, 20% mm -hmm. decrease in all-cause mortality at nine years. Mm -hmm. Now, if you add... And God knows what they mean by strength well, training. Well, that's there. a whole other... Well, right. that's, Another that, consideration that's entirely. That's a whole other thing. Right. But now you add some aerobic exercise to that, 40% mm -hmm. decrease. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. You study men separately, you see the same thing. You see women separately, you see the same thing. Now, the thing that surprises me is how few people actually strength train. And this is a very right. broad definition of strength training. Right. Br- very broad. Very. So we'll talk about and that. As evidenced by the fact that the addition of aerobic conditioning right. to right. it actually improves the mortality. Correct. Or the, Correct. Because you and I both know that yeah. that. We're, we're talking correctly, single right. single joint, you know, yeah, machines, standard, you know, machines, lots of gym, curls, right, of all shit, that right. stuff, right? So, uh, this is the Journal of the American Heart Association in 2017 looked at only women, mm-hmm. okay, and 21 percent of women had uh, admitted to doing any type of strength training in their lives. 20 percent, only 20 percent, mm-hmm. only 10 percent of women said they actually strength trained more than one hour per week. Mm-hmm. When you looked at that cohort that was training for less for one hour a week, again, twenty percent increase in long term survival. See, it's just so the question. The, the question to me is, and you know what's amazing about this, Abil, is that this is so intuitively obvious to obvious. anyone obvious. that has considered this for more than a couple of minutes. Let, let me tell you one you know? other fascinating. Let me tell you one fascinating study. Okay, this is out in New Zealand, and this goes to the point about physical therapy in general. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they took. Any elderly, frail woman who came into their hospital system with a hip fracture, okay? They operated on her for the hip fracture and Mm -hmm. then took her and did formal strength training. So we're talking barbell strength training. The little 80-year-old grandmas. Mm -hmm. Guess what they found? An 80% reduction in mortality. I mean, this is 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 (laughs) astonishing stuff. Right. And you look across the spectrum, Rip. You look at cancer. Mm -hmm. Cancer. You look at diabetes, you look at high blood pressure, you look at cholesterol, you look at patients with kidney disease, you look at orthopedic patients, you look at patients with mental illness, mm-hmm. you know, schizophrenics. Strength training improves survival and quality of life across the board in everyone you look at. Yes. Yes. And Which, by the way, know, and that's I, why I love this T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, it true. is, in fact, true. It is it true. Is it is true. a truism. It, it, it really is a truism. It's a truism. <clears throat> it's a biological strength fact. is life. It's a biological strength fact. is life, yes. and everyone that's paid attention, anybody that's been on a farm, anybody that's had dogs and cats, anybody that has had brothers and sisters, anybody that has an old relative in the family knows yes. that physical strength is associated with a long life, and more yes. importantly, a productive life. Rip, my it dad just, is eighty-four years old. He squats. Wow. Day. See. This is uh this is a and and once again uh as uh and and Dr. Sullivan has written about this in the barbell prescription this is far and away the most powerful intervention that can be undertaken in terms of longevity and in terms of quality of life yeah. far and away the most powerful but nonetheless people want a pill yeah and you know, most people are always going to want a pill. And I don't know how to make people not want the pill and want to do stuff hard. Uh, there's the famous case, and I've talked about this several times. I had a, uh, when I, oh, God, this has been 15, 20 years ago. I had a girl come in the gym uh, with uh, borderline, well, it wasn't borderline diabetes. She was waking up in the morning with blood sugars of 300. Whoa. And, uh, <clears throat> and she was like five two and one ninety five. Yeah, just fat. The little, full metabolic. Full metabolic. metabolic. She's twenty five yeah. years yeah. old, and this is just yeah. you know this is ridiculous. And 
so she wondered if I could help her. So I said, well, let's try. So I took her out into the, into the gym and I had her do some higher rep stuff, a little bit different approach than I normally take, which is fives because I wanted to, I wanted to produce a, a glycolytic insult is, is, is profound, a high rep glycolytic just to burn up some sugar, just because I'd been experimenting with some stuff in terms of, uh, the effects of, of high intensity glycolytic exercise on, uh, insulin sensitivity and glute for this sort of stuff. So, uh, we went out and did some, we did some sets of 20 on the leg press and we benched and did some lat pulls, you know, pretty much just real simple stuff, but all high reps. And, uh, I had her six workouts and the, she came in the last, she came in on the sixth workout and she, I said, what was your sugar this morning? She said 85. Wow. From 300 to 85 in two weeks. That's incredible. And she quit. Hmm. She quit. Now I don't, this was an interesting experience for me because here you have, you have handed this girl, her, you handed her, if, if the not, life, that, that you handed her the key to, to continued health and, and life, and you've handed her the key to not shooting insulin, yeah. not taking glucophage, yeah. not having her feet chopped off, not having macular degeneration so why? and blindness, but she quit. Why? Because I I don't know. See this. Is and the she thing. just left, and I, I, it was, it was, I guess it was too hard. I don't yeah. I don't know what it would. I mean, it was, it, it was just a bizarre thing to to realize about people, you know. See, that this, here we are dealing with, yeah. we're dealing with. This is this is this is here is the fix this for is you. Life and death. Uh, uh, but I don't want that because yeah. it's too hard, and yeah. it's. It's just, God damn it. Yep. <laughs> people, people, people at work have asked me, they're like, you yeah. know, what have you done? You look different. I'm like, I found the fountain of youth. Yeah. Which is, which is I, and I really believe that. Yes. I really believe you, that. You, you did. But, but the question is, you know, the, the problem with this is that you require someone to be motivated. Yes. To keep coming. Yes. Uh, yeah. And you can't motivate them. But that's but if this doesn't motivate you then what how uh, what how, will? How, but how If your life, your continued existence doesn't motivate you? Yeah. And amazingly enough, it doesn't motivate many people. Yeah. We have somebody at, uh, in the seminar every weekend asked us, "What do I do? I, my mother, my father, I need, they need they need this. They yeah. need this." They're fat, they're out of shape, their sugar's about out of control, their yeah. blood pressure's up. What do I do to get them in the gym? And I said, what, have you explained the benefits to them? Yes, I have. But, but, I, but they won't go, how do I get them in the gym? Yeah. And I have to tell them, you don't. You can't get them in the gym. You can't make people act like you want them to, which is what's largely wrong with many aspects of the government and you can't make people act like they need to act, which is wrong with, which is what is wrong with most of the human race. 
So there are profound hurdles here that there are actually no way, there's no way to address those. There really is not. I mean, what we have here is the answer to heart disease, to the conditions that predispose for heart disease. We know what to do. We know how to fix this. This is not complicated. We know what dietary interventions to make. We know what exercise interventions to make. We know how to make you stronger. We know that getting you stronger makes you live longer. We know that a stronger person is a healthier person. We know that a stronger person is a happier person, a person who is more capable of carrying on daily physical activities that are in, that you run into when you're alive. We know all of this, but we can't do it for you. All we can do is inform you, and then you have to decide to do it yourself, and it's – it's tough, man. Rip, it's I texted tough. you. you know, so last Thursday, I texted you from the clinic, mm-hmm. saying that I had yes. seen I had seen five guys, all of whom I had done bypass surgery on, <clears throat> all of whom in their early sixties, all of whom had formerly been athletes, mm-hmm. now all overweight, diabetics, mm-hmm. hypertensive, blah blah blah. And so the question, so you know, I find myself in this funny position now of counseling people about their diet and exercise, which I, you know, I don't think there are many heart surgeons. Usually it's, you know, look at the wound and... Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> They're just mechanics. Probably spent, yeah, but I spent probably two and a half hours with these five guys talking mm-hmm. about diet, exercise, this, this, this. So then the question comes up, like, you guys were all athletes and they're all former football players. Right. Why aren't you, why aren't you exercising? Well, initiative, et cetera, is one thing. Then the second thing is, well, where do I go? And, and who's going to train me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly not for these guys because they're former athletes, but, you know, the little lady, that 72-year-old, she's like, well, you know, these How barbell she gyms. she answer that question? Yeah, but, but right. she's like, you know, these barbell gyms are intimidating places. Sure. You, know, you go in there, you got a you know big guy like Nick who's, you know, squatting 500 pounds. It's like, I, I, I'm not going to, you know. Right. So how, how do we crack that nut? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I think it is a normal human uh, central nervous system response to be intimidated by people who are physically uh, stronger or more aggressive than they are. That's yeah. that's a very old, deep in the brain stem kind of response, yeah. pecking order type behavior. And I don't know that that can be, I don't know if that can be fixed to the point where a seventy-two-year-old woman is going to walk into a powerlifting gym and say, yeah. "Hey, help me." Yeah. You know, that's that's it's probably not going to occur. So obviously what we would have to do is provide a different venue right. for her to go to that would that would show her what she needs to know about barbell strength training. Yeah. In an environment that is not intimidating right. to her and but that still encourages the kind of performance right that you would typically associate with a serious black iron barbell gym. And the starting strength franchise gyms and our affiliate gyms are those places. And we just need to have more of them. We need more coaches. We need, there's a, there's a demand for this product that exceeds our current ability to supply it. Right. And we're doing everything we can to address that. But that is the answer. In other words, the answer is that, the paradigm in an exercise facility must change from treadmills 
Yeah. And cardio, you know, this silly bullshit waste of time stuff that doesn't improve the health of a cardiac patient and certainly as hell does not improve yeah. the health of a healthy person, yeah. right? To, to something that's physically challenging enough to make them stronger. And it's just going to take a long time before uh, a strength adaptation yeah. becomes mainstream in the fitness industry. But that's really yeah. the the answer. And uh, it's a more broad availability of the, the correct idea of what should we be training for in a, in a yeah. gym, strength, and how should we do it. Yeah. Stress, recovery, adaptation, right. gradual accumulation. Of a of a of a strength stress and a strength adaptation, right. and it's just going to take a lot more education. It's going to take a lot more time, and unfortunately, a lot of people are going to die in the meantime. Yeah. Yeah, that and that's true. just all there is to it. And uh, I mean, that's not unusual. People have been dying for hundreds of millions of years, and uh, you know, just becoming protein for the system. You know. So our goal over the next five to ten years is to make starting strength synonymous with get stronger resistance training because you know when your colleagues recommend to somebody what they should do because your patients are asking you what they should do right and they should not only say strength training but they should say well how do i do strength training starting strength and then it's just a top-down effect because when they what what's the old lady going to do she's going to go find a trainer she's going to say my doctor says i need to do starting strength the trainers are going to have to learn what starting strength is and even if they're trying at it right it's, it's tough now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he and his colleagues have the moral authority to yeah. say that to 72-year-old women, whereas we don't. We, they're just, you know, what do we know? Rip, you, you know, know the relationship. So it's, it's interesting. The relationship between a patient and a heart surgeon is a very special thing. I think it is. So I've talked I, to enough of them to know that it you is. You know, when I, when I was in medical school, people used to, you know, my old elders used to say to me, uh, you know, aren't you worried that, you know, you want to be a heart surgeon, you, you won't have a relationship with your patients? Because, you know, that usually you think of a primary care doctor, you know, someone mm-hmm. sees you from your 18 to 60. And I'll tell you what, when I used to do heart transplant and artificial hearts, th- it was as though I was their primary care doctor. You you were they their came, primary they came to because me without you, day. they're dead. They're dead. So it's the yes. same dynamic, you know, for this little lady right. or these five guys in the clinic last week. They want to know what I think about sure. these important Sure, because matters. you're responsible for them yeah. still being here. Yeah. Uh, a and, a and primary care need, physician to those kind of patients, primary care physician is a vacuum cleaner repairman. But, but, you but, are the doctor but, but that see, saved their asses, but and that's point, critical. Like we, you know what we should be imagining, and you and I have emailed about this, is some sort of partnership here. Where, you know, yes. We can partner. So if I have people that I'm like, look, Here's someone who's motivated. This guy is going to show up. I just need to tell him where where to go, where to right. show up. And I know that he'll get a coach who's familiar with you know, the things that he's endured in his life and how to get him up to speed. You know, that I'm not just casting this guy out to someone I don't right. know or recognize. Right. Right. Now, I have personal relationships in the community in which I live that mm-hmm. you know, there's some, it's not starting strength, but it's something else. At that point, you know, anything, anything will Anything work. that's hard. Anything that's, that's hard. That gets progressively harder. Exactly. Will, exactly. will force anything to force the stress recovery adaptation exactly. cycle exactly. upon someone who desperately needs the adaptation. Correct. But if they are, 
in a situation in in the exercise community that doesn't understand yeah. that things must escalate, things must become progressively yeah. harder, yeah. that exercise selection is not the variable, Correct. that load is the variable. Correct. Doing water aerobics at the Y is not cut it. is not. That is a bath. It's not. They're going to take a bath when they get home. <laughs> exactly. It's, it, so, you know, this is what I'm grappling with. Yes. And this is why I reached out to you. you yes. Say, we, we need to figure out a way together to, to at least start to pick away at this. I mean, oh, you're, I, doing, you're doing it I, in your world. I, I I'm doing it in my I world. I completely agree. It's, and our, our reach into, into the broader community is, at this point, limited uh, quite thoroughly by the general perception of the medical community of, of, of what we do. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. They have no idea. What is the most common response to an orthopedic injury or post-op or anything else in the medical community? Yeah. Don't pick up yeah. 20 pounds for the next year. Yeah, nothing heavier than a book. Nothing heavier than a book for yeah. the next year. Yeah. Don't Valsalva. Yeah. Don't get your heart rate up. Take these beta blockers yeah. to keep you squarely on your ass. Yeah. And as long as people are willing to believe those professionals over us professionals, then we will be hamstrung. We will always suffer the, the short end of that stick. But that's why there needs to be a partnership. There has to be an education program. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Dr. Sullivan's book is an excellent place to start. The yeah. Barbell Prescription is an excellent place to start. But how do we get doctors to read that? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm damned if I know. I yeah. don't understand how we uh, – it, it, I don't know about you, but it's been my perception that a very, very common attitude among doctors, and especially among both heart surgeons and orthopedic surgeons, is, hey, we got this. <laughs> We're the professionals. Yeah. You're just a gym owner, right? We're the professionals, and what we say goes. And, and more important than that, we already know this. We already know things that you, as just a simple gym owner with you know a average college education, can't possibly know because, after all, my 136 IQ can't possibly match that of a doctor with 120 IQ. <laughs> You're right; they don't match. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry they don't. Uh, average IQ of doctors is 120, and I happen to be a little smarter than that. And, uh, you know, I'm not real bright, but well, I've read I, your, I understand I've read enough your to, book, so I, I beg to disagree. But I uh, think, you know, look, I, I think that when one digs deeper, yes. they're within all of these communities, there are people who believe. Yeah, there know? are people, in, in, in there are isolated instances yeah. of people with their heads out of their asses. Yeah. There absolutely are. But the problem starts in medical school. Absolutely. I agree with the you. Problem, the medical education paradigm is, is the it's problem here. It's about treatment, here. not about prevention. They, it, it's, about, it's about this do this, yeah. this, do this. Yeah, it's, 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 it's training. It's prescriptive. It's training. Yeah. It's not education. Right. 
And I, I really hate to say that, but I'm, I'm firmly convinced that doctors are trained. Well, you're absolutely they're, right. They're not educated. They're but, trained. But that's what we—that's what we refer to it. It's right. training. Right. You know, it's, it's I know. I've heard. Training, right? I've heard you say you that, and that, that can't yeah. be. That yeah. can't be any more accurate. Right. It's absolutely it's you're, taught to, you're things taught to do things in response to other things. Just like. But you're you're not taught to think through. You're you have general physiology as a junior in in undergrad. Right. And that's never applied. As you get out of school, you General, quit thinking like look, that. Look, I mean, I'll tell you from my own perspective, right? <clears throat> so in cardiac surgery, we use physiology every day. Mm-hmm. But it is never normal physiology. Right. It's pathologic physiology. Right. Right? So right. I think that if, if you're open-minded, if we as a community are open-minded about this, you quickly realize that you can alter pathologic states. In fact, we do this every day. You're altering pathologic states in order to enable normal physiology. As right. you as you observed earlier, the minute you're through with your procedure, right. physiology has been it's improved. Better. You have to have improved it. Or or the patient dies Correct. on the table. Correct. Exactly. One of the two things exactly. occur. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And and this Physiologic response to the surgery must be continued with activity exactly. post-op, that is exactly so that correct. we get back on this trajectory right. that we got to be on. Right, right, right. But I, you know, good luck explaining because, this to. Well, your point is right on because what we tell, what I tell people is that if this is the normal survival curve of a population, mm-hmm. you're currently down here. Mm-hmm. The goal is to get you back up here. Right. Right. Now, that's the long-term goal. Right. The operation is one piece of that. Yes. The yes. Recovery, which it's, is the first, it's the first. It's the first piece, piece of that. Piece. It's obviously and, necessary. And yes. the most hazardous phase. Right. That's the riskiest phase. Is because the because operating. that's where the greatest amount Stress. of invasiveness. Right. That's the greatest invasion any human being will ever un- endure Correct. is having their heart in the hands of another human being. Right. I mean, previously, we only saw that with the Incas, right? <laughs> and that was real unproductive, right, right. right? That was never survival. Right, right, right. But you guys got, you're one step away from that. You don't throw it off the cliff, but you are handling the damn oh, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And So uh, the question is then, how do you continue that? Like, why would you pay such a high hazard? Mm-hmm. If you weren't going to if you were reap not, all the benefits. If, if you were not going to continue Correct. the trajectory that's, exactly that's right. established by the operation. So the way exactly. I see it is I have a role to play in this. Yes. And you have a role to play yes, in this. Yes, we do. why we need to think about doing, you know. I could not possibly agree more. But until you convince your cardiac rehab community yeah. that they are behaving in a suboptimal fashion, with respect to causing that trajectory to be reestablished, yeah. then, I mean, this is the whole thing. Right. Over and over again, our discussion leads back to the fact that that has to happen. Correct. Correct. But if, if what they're doing post-op does not directly contribute to that, if all they're doing is in there covering their ass right. about a lawsuit, you know, and I, let's, yeah, I mean, well, let's just be honest, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what's going on, isn't it? Yeah. They're in there covering it's their fear. ass. People are, people are afraid. Sure they are. You know, people are afraid. Sure they are. Look at, 
being afraid is not going to help anyone get better. But I think that that the 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 best point to take away from this discussion is that when you're through with what you do on the table, yeah. If if what happens in the OR goes like it's supposed to, and that, in other words, if you get out of the OR, you're already better than you were when you went into the OR, and as a result of that, you can now handle more stress than you could before. And now it's important to understand that you must be subjected to more stress than you were before in order to establish that positive slope of that line. Correct. You know. In order to get you back on that slope. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, there's so much more we could talk about. Oh, I know. Why this is important and what it does to your whole body and Let's talk about some of these other topics, uh, shall we? Let us, uh, uh, because I mean, we got you here, and and this is a, a excellent opportunity to to uh, talk to somebody that's operating in his community at a very high level. What do you uh, what do you think about oh uh, the pharmaceutical industry and its relationship to cardiovascular disease? What is, what's good, what's bad, what's complete bullshit? What do you think about Lipitor? <laughs> what do you think about the number one prescribed medication on the, on the planet? Yeah. What do, you about, what do you think about the effects of all of these, all these drugs? What, yeah. what do you think about the, the designed dependence yeah. upon these, this chemical intervention yeah. situation? So this is a great question, <clears throat> and my answer may not completely satisfy you, but it's an honest answer, which is that I think when you're recovering someone from something as traumatic as they've been through a heart operation or a heart attack or something, I believe that there are certain types of medications that have their place. Sure. So aspirin. Sure. You know, a beta blocker. Certainly. Some sort of statin, whether it's Lipitor or something else, but some sort of anti-cholesterol statin mm-hmm. is important. Uh, Anything to soften the blow. You, you need these to get through. Right. You got to get through. Because don't forget, we're manipulating physiology. We're manipulating blood vessels. You don't want blood mm-hmm. clots to form on the inside. Right. You want to get the maximum mileage that you can out of the operation. Sure. However, the question, though, becomes is that in the long run, do you need them? And that's why I think that in the long run, by not exercising people the way they should be exercising, you're actually creating this culture of dependency. Right. You're you're substituting Correct. medication for activity. Correct. Because right. why do we need these? What is the goal of this? Is you know what's the goal of these medications? Right. Well, it should be to get you off of. It. No, the goal. Sh- our goal should be to get you off. But what do the medic? What are the right, medications right, designed right. to accomplish? Sure. They're ultimately, immediately post op, we don't want a clot to form. And it's my belief. And we know that they do. That you right? don't want. You want to subdue inflama- the inflammatory you, you gotta, milieu you inside gotta, the body. Right. You have to. Uh, if the inflammatory load is Correct. such that it's the flam- the inflammatory load itself becomes a stressor. Correct. Then that has to be you mediated. Mitigate that. You have you, to mediate. You got to mitigate that. So that's the short-term goal. Now, what we also know about strength training is that over time, it independently mitigates this anti-inflammatory yes. burden, right? So all those yeah. cytokines and you know interleukins and stuff like that, all that stuff gets downregulated. Right. And the amazing thing about exercise is, is that when you put in a medication, it usually has one, two. 
maybe in some isolated circumstances three axes of intervention. Sure. But the system itself is so multivariate sure. that you're going to have to take a second medication to mitigate or a the side third yeah, medication yeah, and yeah, in some yeah. cases mitigate the side effects Correct. of the first medication Correct. and anything that is that can be approached from the from the level of the of the the patient's physiology itself Correct. is going to be both more comprehensive yes and less invasive in terms of side effects yeah i completely agree with you right so right. if you look at you know what does strength training do so at the level of the heart, it will cause the heart to enlarge as the human being doing the exercise enlarges. Yes. Right? So people get worried about this. This is that paper it's that you sent me, the question right. that you sent me. What? Ha why, is the, why, is this patient's, why is this guy's heart enlarging? Well, it's enlarging because he's enlarging. Right. Right? So, it's enlarging because demand, correct. the stress response, the, the stress recovery muscle. adaptation. The adaptation is a muscle exactly. and the thing is going to hypertrophy. It's going to get bigger. But that so often gets interpreted by lots of people as pathology. It's, it's not, not pathology. pathology. It's not pathology. It's adaptation. When, exactly. And when you index it to someone's body mass or body right. surface area, it is actually normal. Yes. Right? And what you will similarly see is when they stop training, just as your skeletal muscle will regress, so will the size of the heart. Yes. Right? So, that, so you know, I know we had talked about that before mm -hmm. via email, but that's why that's important to bring up. The other thing that is interesting that happens is that arteries – develop elasticity yes. when you exercise. So th this is why uh, you know hypertension is curable mm -hmm. by exercise. When you're not exercising, the endothelium and the lining of the arteries is dysfunctional. It's critically dysfunctional. That's why mm -hmm. exercise, th that's why the blood pressure response to exercise is abnormal in people who don't train. You can actually get it normal by exercising. Yeah. You know, mitochondria efficiency uh, in skeletal muscles, the number of mitochondria and how efficiently they extract oxygen, that goes up. Sure. All the gene, you know, genetic expression changes in as yes. little as six to eight yeah, weeks. The, 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 the system is so complicated, yeah. so multivariate. Yeah. And this is why it's so damn hard to do research on these topics. Yeah. You can't tease out, you, you can't perturb one variable. Correct. And, and correctly deduce the response to that one variable That's because right. other variables participate in the response it is, and you're not you're not controlling them. it is impossible to tease out causation it is all you can defer all you can, do all is you can infer is correlation That's which is, all you which can is do is not correlate. good enough mm -hmm. not good enough and then you look at other things like the whole you know well what are they doing what, what is their definition of strength training Usually it's right. you know, leg presses and leg extensions leg and arm curls yeah. is what it exactly. usually it is. Resistance training right. they call it. They don't even call it strength training. Right. Call it resistance training. It's on a machine and it's not systemic and it, it's not hard enough to produce an adaptation. Right. Yet it still Better shows than nothing. Positive right. statistically positive outcomes. And it's not even what we would consider to be resistance training right. at all. But right. it's still right. it's still that powerful. Right. Okay. It's still about so you imagine if you <laughs> if you if you subject somebody to an optimum yeah an optimum situation yeah you know like you're going to meet Davison tonight yeah yeah Davison did he Brad pulled three thirty yeah. uh uh no three ten he Brad pulled three ten uh, and this is a guy with 
bad arthritis yeah, in his yeah, index yeah, finger yeah. on his left hand. Yeah. And he did that without any strap. <laughs> you know, and this guy was laying in the hospital bed yeah. two and a half years ago about to die. It's fantastic. And... And not to say what it does to your overall you know, oh, sense just, of well-being and, you know. Yeah. There's something to be said about oh, picking yeah. something heavy off the ground. Well, I told him a while back. <clears throat> told him a while back. You know, you're, you know, in fact, I I got him up to uh, a 300 deadlift. Uh, oh, it's been a while. I had him pull 300 off the floor. And he didn't think he could do it. He at the time he was doing a, a triple with two sixty five off the floor, and uh, I said, uh, "I want you to put uh, a quarter, a ten, and a two and a half on that." And he goes, "That's three hundred." I said, "Very good. Good math. Very wow. good. Load it." Yeah. And he he put it on there and he was real apprehensive and I just browbeat his ass into it. I pull it, pull the goddamn thing. It's there. Do it. Don't be a pussy. Yeah. It's time to stand up and get this thing done. And he went over and deadlifted (laughs) it. And I said, guess what, Scott, you're no longer a heart patient. You're now a lifter. There you go. You're now a lifter. Yeah. And (laughs) That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. You know, to hand a guy that, yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know? absolutely. You're no longer a heart patient. And that was really important to him. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a fascinating thing to see what can actually happen uh, to people. And, and back to the medications thing, he's, you know, we'll discuss all this with him tonight, but he's dropped several of these things that he was on. Yeah. He had a big handful of stuff that yeah. he was taking. Yeah. And uh, like they had him on a beta blocker, and I think he's completely off of That's that. Incredible. because Because he was, I mean, you know, at, at some point, it's not helping you. No, it's actually hurting you. It's hurting you. It's preventing you from having from a, a normal cardiovascular yeah, response exactly. to exercise, which is one of the stresses we want to impose on the heart for the adaptation. Exactly. You know. And uh, so he's off of that, and he's off of uh, a bunch of stuff. Now, I've got another old guy in there that just, he's he's guilty of doctor worship. Yeah. And one of these, these criminal GPs here in Wichita Falls has got him on about 10 things. And he just can't bring himself to. Yeah. Can't bring himself to question. Yeah. Why, you know. Why am I on this stuff? And the, the guy keeps telling him, because I've got you on them. Now, you know. Just keep taking them. Take, keep taking them. And, uh, you know, guys like that are, they're the problem. I know not all doctors are that yeah. way, but there's a, there's a, there's a, enough of them out there operating, especially in this demographic, yeah. in the older demographic, that are so quick to hand out a prescription Oh, you got a symptom here. It's all, oh, you got another symptom here. It's all people know, Rip. Yeah, I know. But you know, but but look it, at like three it's years, all three, the patients. But know. you know, but three years ago, that's all I knew. You know. Yeah. But so so people. And why do you think that is? Is it the lack of you, you, education? This, it's, it's not. I mean. Or is it I, just a reluctance what was, to think so, look, in look, terms look, of what was I trained to do? And you know, like you, you were trained to, to do. I was trained to become a damn good heart surgeon. You're you're trained to do. Physical repair. Correct. Yes. Right? 
under this is conditions. A, a set of hand skills and a physical. Uh, a, a, I have a to physical I have to repair. A you're physical a physical task. You're a plumber, right? In so an extremely, many extremely talented, talented plumber. But you're performing things with your hands Correct. that you get very, very, very good at. And you have to get very good at it. Yes. Oh, right? God. Because, you know, John Smith next door I mean, has a heart attack. Look. Look at these things. Gorgeous. Don't break them. Aren't they gorgeous? <laughs> Don't break them. You'll have to feed my kids if so you break them. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd love no. to box. But so why, where does that limitation come from? Can you put your finger it's, on no, it's, where it's, in your preparation is there? You, you're not prepared. It, do for you it. not step back and look at the whole physiology but of how, the? How many people have the wherewithal to step back from what they're doing every day? It's not many. Well, it's not that's many. a very good. That's a very good question. So many. We all. We all. You know. I'm probably guilty of that myself. But we all. But, we we but, all are. We uh, all are. Right. I mean, for me, this was serendipity in many ways. Right. Like right. I realized, Jesus, hey, look at this. I got to change. And right. it changed, and it opened my mind, uh, you know. And mm -hmm. then I, you know, talked to you and right. you know, other friends. So, um, but a lot of people don't, you know. Like, we as surgeons, we, we don't take good care of ourselves. Right. How, how many of my colleagues work out every day? Yeah. Zero. Well, you know, that's a that's a very good question. We get myopic. Yeah. Everybody develops a certain amount of myopia, and you're. And, look, and we live, breathe, is, and eat this stuff. This is, is every day. It's like 7.30 in the morning to whenever it ends at night. Right. Every day I'm cutting and sewing. That's what I do. Right. You know, that's my sense of identity. Mm -hmm. You know? Sure. And uh, Amongst other things, right? But that, that's how most of us think. Yeah, and if that consumes, you know, 95% of your time, there's yeah. not much left, not much no, time left for, for the... Uh, for contemplation. For the, for the macro view of, you don't of have how time, all of these things fit together. You don't have time to contemplate. You're there to solve a problem. Right. A life-threatening problem. Problem is this aneurysm. Yes, and I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix gonna this great. aneurysm. And once this one is done, I will fix another. Yes. Then I've got to go down the hall. Then to, I got to, then I gotta to go help one of my buddies. Right. Then, then i got to go pick up my kids. And, you know, right. i got to help the kids with homework. And, I understand. Right? So, I understand. So, yeah, that's life, right? So, in... in Considered that way, it is the rare uh, medical professional that's going to be able to do the step back thing, you know, because of the inherent limitations of the schedule. But but I'll tell you motivation. something. Motivation. But so uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you guys about this, you in particular, is because you have figured out a way to make strength training something that resonates with someone like me, right? So mm -hmm. when I read your books, it's fact, right? This is the physics. Right. This is the biology. This is why we do things this way. That, to people who have empiric, <coughs> empiric minds, mm -hmm. that makes sense, right? So do I'm like, who, who am I going to talk to? Do you realize what it is about our system that appeals to you? It's the simple logic. Yeah. It's, it's the simple logic. It's the, it's the taking all of the machines away. It's taking all of the commercial considerations of the gym away and going back to what is gravity. Right. How do we operate in a gravitational framework? What is the simple physical science in operation here? How do we design an exercise system that will make people stronger? Right. Why do we need to be stronger? What is strength? 
What are all these little basic concerns? And what comes out the other end of this, of this pipeline is a very simple, straightforward program that works every single time right. it is applied correctly. Right. And the simplicity of the thing is the draw. The simplicity of the thing is the draw to intelligent people. Correct. And as I just re- in a recent podcast, I made the observation, and I know this is going to be offensive to a lot of people, but stupid people like complexity. Complexity appeals to stupid people. You want to strip things down yes. of everything that is complicated, reduce it to its simple essence. Right. Lowest common denominator. Right. And does the math make sense there? And if it doesn't, then the math's wrong. You know, and I'll tell you what, that's what good doctors do too. We do the same thing. You take something very complicated, try to boil it down to something that is not going to take a lot of time, mm-hmm. especially in the OR. Yes. It's going to give him exactly, give him maximize the reward for, and minimize the risk. Right. Right, because the duration of the operation independently predicts mortality. Right. Minimum effective dose. Yes. We're talking Minimum the same effective th- dose. A, a, a very simple concept that's been applied for decades for generations the minimum effective perturbation right. Right. that's necessary to achieve the, the result the, that you're the looking desired for. result yeah, exactly. not more than that yeah. the minimum effective dose and this is why 10 medications right just essentially always reflects uh, an absolute lack of analysis of this of the situation as a whole Stepping back, yeah. withdrawing, big picture. Well, you know, Ten medications do not fall out of a global analysis. What you're doing when you're giving someone ten medications for you know, cardiovascular disease, you're treating ten different symptoms. Yes. You're not treating the underlying cause. Right. The underlying cause is all the stuff we're talking about. Right? So William Precisely. of Ockham, Ockham's razor. Ockham's razor. Right? Reduce everything down to one identifiable problem. Yes. That's what medicine is supposed to be all about. The simplest analysis is almost always the correct analysis. Exactly. So that's what we do day and night. Yes. That's why when I pick up your book and I read your book, I'm like, this fundamentally makes sense to me. You recognize it. That's the same process. That's why the bar should be here and not here. It makes sense to me. What do I know about barbell training? Nothing. But the the way you explain it, it makes sense to me. Right? Yeah. So, So when I go into my gym... And they're like, it's back squat day, and I have my bar down here, and everyone has a bar up here. People are like, what are you doing, man? I'm like, I got this. <laughs> I got this. Exactly. I got this. Exactly. That like, comes in handy. You, know, you, 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 do, you do your thing, and I'll do my thing. Right. Right. So. right. So. Oh, shit. Anything else you want to no, talk about? I think we've uh, covered most of the bases here. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Abil Manji. Thank you for coming down to Texas to talk to us. Pleasure. And thank you for joining us on Starting Strength Radio. We'll see you next time.